All right, if you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 111. If you're using the Bibles that we provided for you, that'll be on page 509 uh, in the Bibles that we provided there uh, for you. So as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What makes a church great? What makes a church great? As you reflect on what you appreciate about the church, the people of God gathered together to worship him, know him, love him, serve him. What is it about a church that makes it great? Is it great leadership? Is it great small groups? Is it a great Sunday morning experience where, you know, the first impressions team is firing on all cylinders and, and the band is is banging and, and the preaching is on point. Is, is that what makes a good church, a great church? Is it a church with a clear mission and vision? A church maybe that, that, that knows how to wed a sound theology to the, all of their implications for life. Is it a, a church that exists to meet my needs. What makes a great church? I think there's a temptation for us to look to leadership and personalities, strategies and mission, ministries, all these things that in and of themselves are, are certainly important, most of them, very important. And, and, and point to that and say, that's what makes a great church. But I want you to consider this morning, what makes a church great is a great God. A great God makes a great church. And that's what Psalm 111 is going to teach us this morning. As I shared, this morning as we dive into Psalm 111, what we want to do is, is allow this text, the, the teaching, the wisdom, the tone of Psalm 111 to help us look back at where we've been over the past year as a church and to help us look forward to where God might take us in 2012. And, and what we're going to see is that God is awesome in his great works of redemption for his people. Let's, let's read this psalm together. Follow along as I read Psalm 111. We'll read the whole psalm. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. 
He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So as we dive into this psalm, I want us to consider maybe three responses from us as a church in light of who this great God is in Psalm 111. The first one is for us is this. We should praise God for his great works over the past year. We should praise God for his great works over the past year. Psalm 111 is, is first and foremost a hymn of praise. It's a response of thanksgiving to God for how he has worked among his people. Verse one begins, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. The psalmist is both unreserved and public in his praise of God. So let me just go ahead and pause and ask us, are we quick to give God praise for his great work among us? Is there any hesitation when it comes to to seeing how God is at work and saying, hey, God did this, God did that. God is at work among us. We want to be a church that is quick to give God praise and to be a church that's very public about it. You say, Tanner, what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, we like call up the fire department down on Salem Street, kind of like borrow one of their fire trucks and get Micah and the band up on top? You know, maybe, you know, one of the pastors, John, yourself, you know, like on the megaphone shouting out what God has done over the past year? That's quite a disturbing picture probably. Um, that's, that's not what we're after, Okay. We're after in our conversations with people. When people ask about Redemption Hill, when we talk about our church, we're we're, we're saying, look, God is at work. He did this for our church. He brought us through that experience. He answered this prayer. We want to be quick to give God praise because we have tasted the truth of verse 2. And I love verse 2. What does it say? Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. What a beautiful declaration. Do you know this truth in the fabric of your daily life? Like in the, in the nine to five, like in, 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 in just the day out, day in, day out, you know, routine of your week, do you see God at work in and around you and among you and even through you? Is this on your radar? Jesus says in John 5, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. God's always at work. We just have to have the eyes to see him at work. His works are, as verse 3 says, full of splendor and majesty. And so those of us who know God, who love God, who worship God and are getting acquainted with his great works, we are hopefully those who Verse two says, study the works of God and delight in them. 
We almost get the picture of someone who has a, a pad and a pen and they are just recording the works of God. God answered that prayer. God showed up in a huge, unexpected way, even way beyond what we knew to even ask for. That's our great God. We've seen this to be true in the life of our church over the past year. It's been our privilege to study the works of God and to delight in them. And so I just want to highlight five ways that we've seen God at work over this past year uh, in 2011. Uh, Number one, we saw God put us in a position to launch weekly Sunday worship. So here we are. This wasn't happening in March. This wasn't wasn't part of who we were yet as a church. Think about this. We go from a a leadership team of seven adults in, in June, July of 2010 to about 25 to 30 people that seem to be, you know, kind of on board, committed to the cause after the new year. And so we just start to wrestle with, God, the timing of this all. Should we move ahead in the spring with meeting weekly for worship? And it was a big question because that was actually ahead of our timeline. We, we, we didn't know if, if we might, should wait until the fall to, to, to kick this off. And God led us to do that. We, we saw 136 people come the first Sunday, April 10th. Way beyond what we knew to pray for. Of course, some of those people were well-wishers. Some of those people were from one of our partners locally, Hope Fellowship, who came over and helped us serve and kind of got us, got us going off the ground. But what an amazing turnout for a new church here in greater Boston. Almost unheard of that that many people would come the first Sunday to a brand new church in Medford. And it wasn't just the number of people who came, it was, it was who came. They were friends of ours. They were, they were a, a great group of college students. There were those who, who saw a tea ad or, or maybe met us out as we were serving in the community. It's a great mix of people. We're so grateful that God has has provided this space, another answer to prayer, a space for us to worship in every single week. God is so good. Number two, another highlight, people are serving and growing in the life of our church. We know this is true, not only through our worship on Sunday mornings, but in our community group and people meeting one-on-one outside of those two times to, to, to grow in godliness in our pursuit of God. People are serving, man. They're taking up the responsibility to say, hey, we know all this doesn't just happen. We're gonna help out. We're gonna, we're gonna pitch in. We're gonna help make Sunday morning happen. We're gonna get involved in the community. We're gonna serve. We're gonna get our hands dirty so that this mission can advance. And many of you have been a part of that and we wanna say thank you. People are serving. People are growing in the life of our church. God, number three, has opened up huge doors in the community for us to serve. This one has probably surprised me the most. Think about coming to a new area. People don't know who we are. And quite honestly, they don't really have a reason to trust us. And yet, God has opened up doors for us to serve local partnerships with the Boys and Girls Club here in Medford. The Medford Housing Authority, we put on a day camp for them. We uh, saw our soccer nights effort a free soccer clinic for kids, ages five to 12, uh, was a huge success that Josh Miller took the lead on there. We uh, had our Serve Medford week where we 
cleaned up and re- renovated five parks in Medford and, and engaged in a variety of service uh, opportunities as well as put on a community fun night there. We gave away 45 turkeys for Thanksgiving to families in need and hosted a Christmas dinner for 15 local families in Medford all this year. And the amazing thing is this, is that God continues to open open more doors for us. There are more doors open for us to serve than we have the ability to walk through. And so that's why we're just praying God send more people because we can make a huge impact this year if we'll get on board with this, this mission, the opportunities that God has for us to serve. That's number three. Number four, we are the beneficiary of great partnerships. We talked about how we want to partner with tithe. And I think that would be in our hearts anyway because that's just, you know, you can't read the New Testament and not see that happening. But, but we especially want to partner with Todd. You say, man, you're a, you're, a, you're, you're a young church. You're not even self-sustaining yet. In other words, you can't pay your bills without people helping you to pay your bills. Then why would you want to be involved to help someone else? Because this is what the mission of God is about. We have to help one another. The kingdom is not about Redemption Hill Church. The kingdom is about God's work in the world. It's about seeing people from all peoples of the world come to know Christ. And so even if it costs us something, even if it costs us dollars and people, man, we want to pray about how can we take the resources, however small they may be, and, and begin to invest in others. And why is that? Well, it's because it's in the Bible, but it's number two, because we've had that model for us. We are where we are as a church because of the generosity of individuals and churches who have come alongside of us and said, look, we know you can't do this on your own, so we're gonna pray for you. We're gonna support you. We're gonna send teams to come up and serve with you so you can can reach your community with the light of Christ. It's been amazing. And And then number five, God has been forming our church family. Just in the fall, we implemented our membership process for the first time. We are at 25 members strong and counting. And in our community groups where, where, where life really happens in the life of our church, we saw those in the summer go from roughly 30 in attendance to over 50 in the mid-50s in the fall, a huge increase that God was able to, to give. Added to that, we have connected with so many people so many people, people like you, that are, that are praying about us, considering how to get more involved in the life of our church. So many that aren't even here this morning, that may be traveling or still getting back into town. So God is doing his work. Guys, God builds his church, and he is doing it right before our eyes. Let's not miss these days and how God is, is, is getting this church off the ground. And so in all of this, let me, let me say, in all of this, it's all an answer to prayer. People are praying. We are praying, and we are going to be more diligent in praying in this next year because God works through the prayers of his people, and God is showing up, and he is the one that is, that is answering and giving the growth in our church. And so we, like the psalmist, have reason to praise the Lord and to give thanks to the Lord with all of our heart in the company of the congregation. He is up to something good. But as great as 2011 was, there is no reason for us not to anticipate that 2012 will be even better. 
That should be our attitude as a church. And what's gonna happen in verse, verses four through nine is, is the psalmist is going to recount the details of God's great work. And I want us to consider this, is that, 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 that what the psalmist is doing here is, is he's reminding the people, he's recounting the deeds of, of God to the people. And, and as we look back, it's good and it's healthy and it's right for us to look back to God's past grace and his past faithfulness. Why? Because God's past grace gives us present confidence for God's future grace. You see that? We can look back and see God has been so faithful. He has been so powerful in the past and he is not stopping. He does not grow weary in his works. We can cling to his promises and know that he's going to continue to work as we move on as a church. And so that's, that brings us to our second encouragement this, this morning, that we should look to past grace for confidence in future grace. In, in, in these verses, what, what the psalmist does is, is he uh, is reflecting here, the backdrop of these verses is God fulfilling his covenant promises to Abraham. Those of you who are reading through the Bible with us this, this year, we, we've read about God's covenant to Abraham. And, and, and the rest of the Pentateuch and into Joshua, it's gonna unfold how that God keeps his promise. How he's gonna bless not only Abraham, but all the peoples of the world through Abraham and his seed. And so with that in mind, with the exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, the wandering in the wilderness, with, with the conquest into the promised land, all of that is the backdrop for what he says in verses four through nine. And so just kind of to, to, to paraphrase, go ahead and look at four through nine, but I just wanna just kind of unpack this as we go. What do we learn about God and his gracious work in the past? Well, number one, he is a God who is gracious and merciful, causing people to remember his wondrous works. Verse four, he is a God who provides the necessities of life and keeps all of his promise to be with and bless his people. Verse five, he is a God who is powerful in his work, who backs up everything he says he will do just as he brought Israel into the promised land. Verse six, he is a faithful and just God who is not hiding from his people but reveals his will to them. Verses seven and eight. And he is a God who sends redemption to his people. He keeps his covenant forever. And so in light of all this, we should say with the psalmist, holy and awesome is his name. God is faithful. He keeps all of his promises. He sent redemption for the people of Israel and brought them in, out of the Exodus into the promised land and he has sent redemption to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Through faith in him and what he's done in his resurrected life, we can have life in him. And we have all the resources of the power of God at our disposal because we are connected to Christ. This is the kind of God that we know. This is the kind of God that we serve. And God is still unfolding the story of redemption and we are in the middle of the story. The story continues. And it's our joy to participate in how God is still at work today. And so what we should do as a church is we should, like the Israelites, see what God has done in the past and find confidence for 
what we expect him to do in the future. To put it in, you know, kind of uh, the terminology of the streets, we can walk around with a little bit of spiritual swagger. You know what I'm saying? Because we, because we, we know that, man, this thing is, is God's deal. We're not confident in ourselves. We aren't placing great faith in ourselves. We're placing great faith in the authority of Christ for the mission of Christ among us. So, let's continue to adopt one of our mantras around here, all right? One of our mantras is, is William Carey's quote, the great father of the modern missions movement, who said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. That's who we gotta be as a church. We need to build and keep and maintain a culture and an atmosphere of expectation. God, what are you gonna do in 2012? We don't know, but whatever it is, God, is gonna be great because you run the show. This is your deal, and we trust in you. And so, so what is our prayer? What do we want to expect and attempt this year in 2012 as a church? I wanna give you eight, eight, eight uh prayers, if you will. This is a great way to pray, by the way, for our church. Eight prayers for 2012, and they're centered around our core values of, of gospel, community, and mission. All right, so let's start with the gospel. What do, we, what do we pray will happen in 2012? Number one, we want 2012 to be a year where we grow in the gospel through passionately pursuing God in his word and in prayer. We're going to, to accomplish this by, you already know about our, our reading through the Bible. It really isn't too late to, to, to catch up with us. Um, you can grab a sheet on your way out here on the table. Um, so we're gonna read through the Bible as a church. We're gonna continue as faithfully as we possibly can to teach God's word on Sunday morning when we worship. We're gonna walk through the book of Ecclesiastes starting in two weeks. It's gonna be off the chain, all right? Not because of anything special about us, but because the word is powerful and is potent and it has much to teach us out of Ecclesiastes. We're gonna work through the book of Titus. We're gonna probably start the Gospel of Luke in the fall, as well as going to, to uh, combine a couple of, of thematic series around biblical community and, and worship. That's what's coming in 2012. We're gonna start offering equipping classes probably later in the year that will cover a variety of topics from Bible, theology, the Christian life. So we wanna see those launch, as well as take baby steps to initiating a counseling ministry that will be both internally focused and externally focused. We want to offer free counseling, not only to our own members, but even to those in the community who are hurting and looking for answers in life. So these are all ways that we can pray for God's work among us, as well as we want to increase the frequency of our church-wide prayer meetings and our strategic corporate fasts as a church. And so next Sunday, we're going to meet together as a church to pray about all of this that we're unpacking this morning. 9.15, if you can make it be here. Number two, we want to see an increase in the number of weekly worship attendees and on our Sunday morning serve teams. Okay, so let's take those in reverse order. We have been incredibly blessed. As we talked about, a highlight from 2011 was to see people serve our first impressions team, our music and media team, our children's ministry team, and they've been phenomenal. They've done an excellent job. And we are where we are. We're thriving as a church because of, of, of people who are just saying, man, I'll serve. I'll help out, even when I don't want to sometimes, right? 
So people have done, they've done a great job, but as we grow as a church, we need more and more people to jump on board and say, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll get here a little bit early, I'll get here 30 minutes early, I'll get here 45 minutes early, an hour early to help set up, to help make this thing happen. Our children's ministry, we wanna teach children, we wanna equip children and families to, to know and to love and to serve Jesus. I mean, it's happening, but it's gonna continue to thrive because more and more people are willing to get involved and serve. And so maybe God would lead some of you to sign up for a surf team and say, man, I wanna help, help, help this thing happen on Sundays. And, and all of that, of course, presupposes that, that we want to grow as a church. Let me just throw out a, a number. This is not like given by the Holy Spirit. This is just kind of looking where we are and saying, man, you know what? This is, this is possible. Maybe add a little extra faith on top. It would be awesome to see 125 people here gathering weekly on Sundays by Easter, just a few months away. I mean, we have roughly mid-80s now, something like that, typically. Probably growing once our, our college students get back. But, but I think that's attainable. What about in the fall, by the end of the year, if we have 175 in worship, almost packing out this room by the end of this year? You say, Tanner, you just want a big church. Man, you just, you just came up here. So you, look, look we, didn't, we didn't move up here to, to, to start a megachurch, all right? This isn't the place to come and plant a megachurch. We want to be a church that blesses other churches. So let me just do an excursus about numbers here. Ministry is not about numbers. Okay, it's not. Why? Because numbers don't tell the story, right? I mean, you could have 200 people, 2,000 people gathered in a room on a Sunday to listen to the ramblings of a heretic. Numbers don't constitute a church, much less a healthy church. So ministry is not about numbers. This is not what we're about. And yet, ministry is about numbers, right? It's about numbers because numbers what? They represent people. And people matter to God, man. We moved here so we could reach people. Because people need to know Christ. They, they need to follow Christ. They need to worship God again with their life. And so we count numbers because they're people who need Jesus. I mean, let's just kind of get a holy burden for our area here. It's awesome that 80-something people come to worship at Spring Step on Sundays, but I mean, do you ever drive home and think about the hundreds of thousands of people that are in this area who are not worshiping God? We have to think about them. Ministry is not about numbers, but ministry is about numbers. And we understand that we are not the ones that are responsible to make this church grow. We've already said it. Jesus builds his church. God gives the growth. But it's our responsibility to attend and to serve and to invite and to bring and to share and to spend our lives well and to make investments for the sake of the gospel. So that's what we want to see God do related to uh, his advance of the gospel among us. What about community? Uh, a, third, a third way to pray, a third goal would be to develop leaders for our community groups as we tweak our approach to community group life. So, so what are community groups? Community groups are, are, are gatherings of roughly 8 to 16 people, sometimes a, a few more than that where uh, we are gathering to, to fellowship with one another, to get to know one another, to go deeper relationally, as well as to study and to apply God's word and to pray together and to encourage one another in the faith. That's basically community group in a nutshell. Community groups are 
absolutely central and essential to what we're about as a church. Philosophically, that's where like, we care for one another, we love one another, we serve one another. It's where discipleship and, and all these investments are gonna be happening on a more acute level. It's not that it doesn't happen on Sunday, of course it does, but, but that's where we can go deeper with one another in our community groups. And so let me just kind of throw this out here. It is our goal that 100% of both our members and our attenders, our regular attenders, would be involved in a community group this year. You say, wow, what if that happens? Then like, what's gonna happen to those groups? Well, what's gonna happen is that we're gonna need to add more groups. We're gonna need to multiply our groups. We're gonna need to train more leaders. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna kind of tighten the screws organizationally. We're gonna see prayerfully God add leaders and assistant leaders. We're gonna have point people for our service efforts and our hospitality efforts and, and to communicate with the missionaries that each community group adopts. So we need to see people not only involved, but even willing to step up and say, hey, you know what? I wanna, I wanna serve. I want this, this community group to thrive. And that is our prayer for, for uh, part of what we want to accomplish as a community of faith. No, number four, this one's important. See God continue to make our church more of a thumbprint of our community. We want Redemption Hill to reflect the city of Medford and the surrounding cities, Somerville, Everett, Malden, you fill in the blank. And if that happens, what's gonna happen is, see, there's kind of this, uh, this perception of Redemption Hill. I don't know if it's because, you know, our leadership's fairly young, okay, we're like all, we like graduated elementary school and high school and college, you know, like the whole deal a couple times even, most of us. And, um, and so, you know, like we're not a college church. We're just not. We don't wanna be a college church. Now, don't, don't take that the wrong way. We, we love college students. We care about college students. We have a great number of college students involved in the life of our church. But we want to be a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. I mean, talking about rich and poor. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever background people come from, that's, that's who we want to be. We just welcome our arms and say, God, would you make our church look like our community? And that means that we're going to see more and more locals come, more and more people that, that may be uh, spread across the spectrum, generationally, ethnically. That's who we want to be as a church. So we better pray for that. It's not just going to happen. We better pray for that. We better make war in prayer to go back to last week's sermon on spiritual warfare. We have got to pray for this or it never will happen. Number five, we want to add new members to the church regularly. I mean, as people buy into our mission and vision and say, man, I get that, I want to be a part of that, we would love by the end of the year to have 60 to 80 members uh, rolling in the, in the life of our church. Hopefully that, that means we're, we're adding to our, our leadership and we're caring for people more effectively. Now let's move to mission. What do we, what do we want to pray that, that God would do in the mission of our church? Uh, first and foremost, we want to make disciples who make disciples. That's our mission. Before Jesus ascended to the Father, what did he say to his disciples? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? That's, that's the mission that we have for us. We, we want to see people who don't know God, who aren't following Christ, become followers of Christ through repentance and faith in him and thriving in their new walk with God. And so that's what we need to be about as a church. But, but, but here, here's, a, here's just a thought and a, and a challenge. What if every person in our church 
What if every family in our church just reached one person this year? I mean, just, just one. I mean, is that, is that too much to ask? Is that too much to pray about? Someone who needs Jesus, someone who isn't involved in, in, in the life of a healthy church, like, could we do that collectively? So the burden is on all of our shoulders to, to pray and to, to see our, 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 our relational networks, whether that's family or the workplace or, or our so, social networks, whatever it is, they're all spheres of influence that we can exercise for the sake of mission. We want to be a church that makes disciples who makes disciples. Number seven, we want to, to continue serving people in our community. All the great things that God did in 2011, we want to build on that and see that grow and thrive in 2012. We're going to establish a benevolence fund that will go toward mercy ministry. We want to continue to be involved in social justice issues. And we want to continue as leaders to equip you. There's nothing greater than to see people that, that are just, you know, members or regulars in the life of the church that say, you know what, how about, how about this? Like, could we, could we, could we do this? Could, or just to get a report and say, man, like, I did this for someone this week. Not to boast about it, but just to say, man, we're, we're out as a church loving and serving people. And it's just part of the rhythm of who we are as a church. We exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's our job description, and that's what we want to be about. And then, and then finally, an eighth way to pray, we want to continue spreading the mission. Now, this is, this is multifaceted, right? But, but we want to... Uh, take our first mission trip as a church, probably somewhere here in New England in 2012. Uh, we want to uh, implement a church planting strategy to, to help Todd and his crew to reach Charlestown with the gospel. So we want to begin working on that early as possible to, to assist them. And we also plan to launch, uh, the, help launch the Boston Church Planting Equipping Center. It will be a place where, where, where people who want to go into ministry and maybe be future missionaries and church planters, as well as just, you know, kind of like lay people, just like the, the most of us, the, the kind of the, the regulars who are just kind of part of the church, but maybe not full-time vocational ministers, they can still get equipped and, and help be prepared to serve in the life of the church and the mission of the church. So those are all part of what mission prayerfully will look like. And you say, wow, Tanner, like that's a lot to accomplish and in 11 and a half months. But we know a great God who does great works. And his ability to come through is, is exhaustless. So as we wrap up, as we seek to take opportunity to be a great church in 2012, let's just get a little more personal here. How, how will this happen? The third encouragement for us in verse 10. We should respond to God with fear, obedience, and worship. Look, look back at, at verse 10 in Psalm 111. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe before God. It's a respect for who he is that totally transforms us into living a life of praise and obedience before God. And so, so here's, here's our philosophy as, as pastors and leaders of Redemption Hill. You ready for this? We pray that verse 10 happens in the hearts of every single person that's a part of this church. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who fear the Lord and keep his commandments and live a life of worship and praise to God, you know, if if we're a church full of people like that, we don't have to worry about serve teams. We don't have to worry about community groups blowing up and thriving. We don't have to worry about 125, No, 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 that's all inconsequential because God has our hearts. He's gonna work through his people. Do you get that? That's the philosophy here. If God has our heart, then the rest will take care of itself. And so here is, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for 2012, built around again, our core values as a church. Here, let, me, let me give you three challenges here to make a commitment to. Uh, number one, make a commitment to go deeper with God than ever before. Make a commitment to go deeper with God than ever before to pursue him in his word, to pursue him in prayer, to seek to live out a life of godliness before him because he is so great. We love because he first loved us. We can't look to the cross and not worship, right? So let the cross motivate everything that we do as a church to pursue God more deeply than ever before. Number two, make a commitment to get more involved in the life of Redemption Hill. I mean, whatever that means for you, I don't know what it means for you, but, but whatever it means, if it means you know, signing up to serve on a serve team, whether, whether it means you know, getting involved in a community group, whether it means just kind of continuing to do your thing as God leads, whatever it is, like we all, even you know, Pastor Tanner here, like I can get more involved in the life of this church. I can be a more faithful pastor. I can pray for you more. I can, you know, the, 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 the possibilities are endless. Let's get more involved in the life of the church. And then number three, let's make a commitment to live like a missionary in 2012. And a way that we try to summarize that around here is to pray, display, and declare. We want to pray consistently. We want to display the gospel with our lives, and we want to share this message, the saving message of Jesus Christ with our lips that others might come to know Jesus. So as we think about the greatness of our God, man, It was so good this morning. The greatness of our God. And we seek to be a church that both praises him for what he's done in the past and and has a confident expectation, this atmosphere of expectation for what he will do in the future. Let's be a church that studies the works of God and delights in the works of God. And then it will be awesome to come back next year and say, look, this is what he did. This is what he did. This is what he did. Let's exercise great faith in God for the mission that he has for us. And all the while remembering that no sky contains nor doubt restrains all he is. Even when we lack faith, man, God is faithful. He will show up and work on behalf of his glory and the sake of his people. Let's be about this this year in the life of Redemption Hill Church. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word. And God, we give you praise. Lord, you've, you've done exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or imagine this past year. And yet, Father, there's no reason to be complacent. Who wants to be a part of a mediocre church? Lord, that's not the church that Jesus leads. That's not the church that Jesus died for. And so, Lord, let us reflect who you've called us to be as a church 
And we pray that, that these things that we've talked about this morning would, would, would come to fruition one day, one week at a time, through us and, and even in spite of us, for your glory's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.